our software powers their business. It does all the, the accounting, helps them track tenants and residents, helps them generate leases and screens. So it's, it's a comprehensive platform for property managers who are managing smaller size residential portfolios. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today we have Michael Montero, who's the CEO and co-founder of Buildium, which is a property management software. And I'm going to let him explain a little more about what exactly that entails. But Michael, how's it going? It's going well. Hey, Eric, how you doing? I'm doing well. So thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell us first and foremost, kind of, I guess, your story? Yeah, yeah, sure. So my uh, my personal story is I, I started out in in tech uh, quite a few years ago. I was a CS major in school and and spent some time consulting, designing, and building software for for big companies, custom software for big companies, and and then got into real estate with a with a my co-founder got got into some rental property and and through that experience as a as a small landlord came up with the idea for for Buildium. Awesome. Okay, great. And what is, I guess, let's talk a little bit about Buildium. What does it do? How does it help people? Yeah, sure. So so we are a, a cloud software company. We focus on providing software for, for residential property managers. These are smaller to mid-sized property management companies. That's, believe it or not, that's most of the companies in the U.S. So we're talking about firms that have fewer than 10 employees, maybe manage upwards of 5,000 residential units. So these are rental properties. These are associations. And, and our software powers their business. It does all the, the accounting, helps them track tenants and residents, helps them generate leases and screens. So it's, it's a comprehensive platform for property managers who are managing smaller size residential portfolios. Okay, and what what were people using? What were property managers using before Buildium? <laughs> well, believe it or not, Buildium's been around for 14 years, and they're still using, to a large degree, spreadsheets. That is much of this market. They're using spreadsheets to track information, and in some cases, they may be using QuickBooks to do their accounting. But mostly, they're they're using spreadsheets, and and that's where we come in. Prior to cloud software, solutions like Buildium just weren't accessible to smaller residential property managers. The big guys, the big firms that manage tens of thousands of doors, they all have and have had for some time software like Buildium. But it wasn't until until SaaS, the, the online delivery model, where you could now begin to bring software like ours to the smaller end of the market. Great. And so how many, I guess, how many property managers, and you guys are just U.S. focused? Uh, most of our business is in the U.S., but believe it or not, we have customers in over 40 countries, and and we have 14,000 of them today. The the lion's share are here based in the United States. Those 14,000 or so residential property management firms manage about a hundred, uh, sorry, about a million and a half units on our platform today. 
Got it. So it sounds like, I mean, to, to kind of capture, well, I guess maybe, maybe the question I was trying to get at is what percent of the market do you guys have today? Yeah, it's a great question. So we estimate that we have close to 5% of the, of the market. It's a pretty big market. There are a few hundred thousand of these firms, but the shadow market is actually much bigger. You probably know a real estate person that maybe sells real estate for a living, but they they perhaps manage a few rentals on the side. That's part of our market. And we do also have lots of landlords and owner operators that we focus primarily on those that do property management for a living, the professional property managers. But to answer your question, about 5% is, is what we estimate today. Okay. And so if I am a property manager, I'm looking to start using Buildium, how does the the pricing work? So you guys charge subscription, obviously, but beyond that, how does it typically look on average? Yeah, it's kind of like a cell phone plan. So it's based on the size of your portfolio, the number of units that you have under management. So we have a couple different tiers. We have a, we call it a core plan and a pro plan. And, and each plan is priced based on the, the size of your portfolio. So for example, if you're on core, you can start out at $45 a month. You can pay month to month. We also offer annual plans, but it's based on, on the number of units. In addition to that, we have what we call a number of add-on services that are integrated with our platform. So these are things like screening to be able to run a credit and a background check on a prospective tenant or to be able to collect their rent each month electronically. We have a payments payments add-on. So we have a number of these add-ons that are integrated into the platform. Some are bundled with the monthly fee and some are, are at an additional cost. Well, that's wonderful. So it sounds like, I mean, you're, you're charging per, uh, well, based on number of units, and then you have all these upsells and cross-sells too. And uh, maybe you're even in negative churn. I don't know. Yeah, we do. I mean, that's that's the thing. We we of course lose customers every single every single month, but because of the add-on opportunities, the upsell opportunities, our, our revenue grows each and every year because of the additional. Well, for two reasons: one, they're buying more, but their portfolios are often growing. A lot of our customers are growth-minded, and they're growing their portfolio. So as they grow their portfolio, they're buying more more software for us, and so and so yeah, that's a big a big part of our growth in our business. And you said earlier, was it, um, I might have mistaken this, but you said you had 14,000 property managers using this or was that something else? No, that's the number of customers. Yeah, we have 14,000 property managers, mostly based here in the U.S., but outside of the U.S. as well. And they're, they're managing 1.5 million units on our platform today. Great. Okay. So how did you go about acquiring, let's just say, the first, I don't know, 100 uh, property managers? <laughs> yeah, very slowly is my answer. So we started, my co-founder and I started the business in 2004. That was uh, a long, long time ago. And back in 2004, if you remember, online software wasn't really a thing. There were companies that were starting to do it in the enterprise space. It was called application service provider back in those days. And so what that means is we spent a lot of time in those early years explaining why somebody might want to buy software online instead of going down to Staples and buying buying the software off the shelf. And so it took us it took us two years from 04 to 06 to get our first 50 five zero customers. And we did it the old fashioned way. We we did it by by working our own networks. I lived in a condo at the time, so I talked to our property manager and I asked him, what do you use and, and what sort of problems do you have with the software you're using today? And and so we worked our own network. We we pounded the proverb 
real pavement, talked to as many people as we could. And at those at that point, we were just trying to get people to try the software, to pilot it, just to give us some feedback. And so it was a lot of that sort of word of mouth and 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 talking to people. And and then over time, Google AdWords became a really big, big part of our acquisition strategy. And in those days, as you can imagine, some of the keywords that are really expensive and competitive today weren't weren't as uh, competitive back in 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 04. And you said it was you said it took you two years to acquire the first fifty customers? Yeah, that's right. Took took two years. We were doing it part time, in all fairness, Dimitri, my co-founder and I were working part time on Buildium. And and in 06, we said, hey, we think this is a good idea. We don't have a ton of traction, but if this is going to go anywhere, we're going to have to really focus on it full time. And so in 06 we decided to stop everything else we were doing. We worked on it for full uh, full time for the next year, year and a half. And so we were able to go from about fifty in 2006 to about 500 by 2008. And, and, and largely, I think for a couple of reasons. One is we benefited from the trend toward online software. So, you know, nowadays everybody, it's become ubiquitous. And so we certainly benefited from that. But also uh, we, got, we got better at, at marketing and getting the word out. And, and that's how we were able to grow the base during that time from uh, 50 to about 500. I think it's really important too, where you know you're talking to the, your property manager and you're basically doing customer development, and a lot of people tend to forget about that, right? Yeah, it's it's a big part of it. I mean, I'm an engineer by trade, my co-founder is too, and so it was really easy and comfortable for us to focus on the product, but it was also critically important for us to get out there and talk to people, and that's you know that's hard to do. I think back one thing that I that I would have done differently is is uh, it took a long time for us to have the confidence to ask for the credit card. We were talking to people, trying to get them to look at what we had built, and we were we were giving it away for free. We were saying, just try it, and it took a long time before we felt like we had something uh, valuable enough to to actually start charging for it. Right. Okay. Well, so, I mean, you guys had the 50 customers, and then, I mean, were you and your co-founder married at the time, children? No, we weren't. So that made it a little bit easier to take the plunge. You know, I so so neither of uh, one of us were back then, and and so we were able to to leave our good paying jobs in part because we were able to reduce the expense side of the personal equation. And uh, you know, I sort of joke because in those days, my my goal for the business was that. You know, maybe someday building would generate enough enough revenue to replace that good paying job that I had walked away from. And in truth, it took about four years. It took about four years before we were generating enough revenue to be able to hire our first couple of employees. Mm. Okay, so what, uh, when you say a couple of years to generate kind of meaningful revenue to hire employees, what revenues w- w- was that at? Yeah, so we were about 500, 500 customers back then, and and so we were probably doing a, a few hundred thousand dollars a year of of recurring revenue, and that's when we hired our first our first salesperson and our first support person, and 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 you know that's when we started to pay ourselves a, a salary and and those sorts of things. So it took some time. And it wasn't until about 2012 when we were able to grow from those first couple of employees to about – we were about 25 at that point and, and doing about $5 million in recurring revenue by 2012. It sounds like – I mean it sounds like you guys bootstrapped to the first couple hundred grand and then were really kind of um, prudent on, on hiring in the beginning. And you guys – so you guys didn't raise any money, right, in the very beginning? No. We actually went eight years. We bootstrapped until $5 million in revenue and – 
you know, I think in part it's because, to be honest, we uh, we didn't know the first thing about raising money, and and so we we did what we knew how to do. Being engineers, we built the product, and it wasn't until 2012 when we we uh, we did our first our first raise. At that point, we were profitable, but we were we were kind of running the business. I would characterize it as a as a bit of a lifestyle, and we knew that as a technology company, that was going to be a hard road. That was going to be a really hard road. At that point in 2012, there were some better funded competitors that had uh, shown up on the scene and and we knew it was going to be hard to compete with those companies even though we had a we had a, a big head start on them it was going to be hard to compete um, against against them without raising some additional capital do you think due to the competition I mean if you could go back in time do you think you'd go back and, and just do the same thing and, and raise just to make sure that you could stay kind of competitive yeah you know that's interesting because I think if we had raised a bunch of money in the beginning i'm I'm fairly sure we wouldn't be here right now and and that's because we were too early. I mean, I think it was essential for us in o four to have gone that slow organic path. Uh, it's not that I had a crystal ball we got we got frankly lucky, but the truth is by going slow and organic, it gave the category the market time to to develop as i as I mentioned in those early days we were we're explaining why somebody would want to pay us every month to use our software and online, and and by 08 that started to change. And so, if we had raised a bunch of money and hired a bunch of people from the get-go, I'm I'm pretty sure we wouldn't be here. But that's not a clearly that's not a recipe for everyone to follow because it really depends on the market. We had time to do that. In some markets, the competitive dynamic is such that you just don't have that that time to to wait. Mm, got it. Okay, so it sounds like you. I mean, you would kind of go back if you could go back in time. You would still raise money at the same time period. Yeah, I think so. I think so. The one thing I would have done differently, though, is I would have invested sooner in in marketing. Sales came later. I mean, a, a big part of our business is still people that are discovering us online. More than half of our business is is completely self service. So even though we're a B two B software, we sell to businesses. These property management firms, a lot of them, look more like consumers because they're so small. But I would have invested in marketing a lot sooner. Being engineers, I think we undervalued the importance of of investing and marketing early. And so that's one thing I think I would have done differently. It wasn't until I think about 2012 or 13 before we hired our first full-time marketer. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that you bring up because there, there's a SaaS company out there completely bootstrapped. They're, they do have a ton of competitors, but uh, it's a company called ClickFunnels, and they're, they have a really good marketer at the helm, and just they're about to do $100 million, um, this year, and it's all just off of really good marketing. And I, I'm just kind of the reason I ask you about the you know the whole raising money thing is like to them they're like yeah we're not going to raise anything even though there's a ton, there's a ton of you know venture backed kind of um, companies in the space, and they just made it happen with great marketing. So um, it's always interesting to get different perspectives. Yeah, I think you know it depends on on your go to market strategy. For us, inbound is a key part of our our go to market strategy, and so good marketing is essential to that. Getting discovered online is essential to that. And and uh, if I could rewind the clock, we would have invested in that sooner. Okay. And so what else? I mean, so a lot of knocking on doors for the first 50, 500 customers or so. I almost feel like this kind of the statement you, you just made leads into my next question in terms of what else is working really well for you in terms of customer acquisition today? 
Yeah, well, I, I, did, I touched on one part of it, which is the inbound marketing. So that's making sure you have really good content so that people can discover you online when they're looking. And by the way, they're not always looking for software when they're online. They could be looking in our business. I could be looking for, for best practices on how to deal with security deposits or, or how to deal with a tenant that, that hasn't paid their rent and have you been through an eviction. So there's lots of content that we're developing on our blog. And a lot of it, frankly, is has nothing to do with, with software. It's kind of a, a page out of the HubSpot playbook with their HubSpot Academy, all about inbound marketing. And so that's a big part of our acquisition strategy is producing content that's of interest to our audience. So when they are looking online, they can discover us. Besides inbound, which by the way is you know inclusive of things like SEO and paid paid search as well, and we do some affiliate marketing. Beyond that, as you move up the SMB ladder, then property management firms start to start to behave a little bit differently. They look a little bit less like consumers when they go about evaluating software. When they get bigger, they they go to trade shows, they they talk to their colleagues. When they when they find a vendor they want to learn more about, they they do want to talk to somebody. They want to demo. So we've had to diversify our go-to-market as we've moved up the SMB ladder to to make sure that we're 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 designing our our go-to-market around the way our customers buy and evaluate software. Got it. Okay. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit and then uh, hear about kind of the struggles you faced while growing this business. Any specific story that comes to mind? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> lots of them, lots of them. I mean, I'll talk about one that's really uh, that we're experiencing right now. It's it's hiring. It, it sounds cliche, but it's a it's a big challenge. I think, you know, it used to be it was all about the hardest part was was hiring great engineers, and that that hasn't changed. But the the truth is there are way more opportunities, great opportunities than there are high-skilled workers. And, and as I say, high-skilled used to just mean engineers, but today it's engineers and product people and designers and great marketers. And so uh, I'd say that's a, that's a big challenge for our business today. And what we have realized is that Acquiring employees, attracting great talent is a lot like a customer acquisition problem, but the reality is we weren't approaching it that way, and we've invested um, very little in, 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 in creating that, that funnel relative to the amount of energy and, and resources and investment we put into our customer acquisition strategy. And so that is a big challenge, and, and as a result of that big challenge, we're having to take a step back and, and really figure out how to tell our unique brand story in order to to attract great talent. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because as a marketer, I people talk about the hacks all the time, what's the newest marketing channel, whatever, but I think the ultimate marketing quote-unquote hack is hiring the best people. That's how you grow a lot faster. Yes, you have to have a great marketing team, but it's the people that ultimately make up everything, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, I was talking to an investor for coffee today, and he was talking to me about about sort of their unique approach to to how they they go about investing in companies. And he talked about what so many investors talk about today. Oh, yeah, we have a capability around sales, and one around marketing, and one around this and that. And so they're all they're all all of these 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 investors are trying to develop these these core competencies around these different operational aspects. But but nobody's really 
talking about how to hire great people. They may have a recruiter on board that you can leverage, but nobody's looking at it like a customer acquisition problem. And so as a result, nobody's really talking about the most fundamental thing, which is what makes working at your company special? What what makes you different? What is your unique brand story? And so as a result, it's kind of like you've hired, the analogy would be I've hired all these salespeople, i.e. I've hired all these recruiters to help hire, hire and fill my positions, but I haven't even start I haven't even taken the most basic step to figure out what our message is and our unique brand story is and and that's kind of crazy in customer acquisition but that's what so many companies do on the talent side right okay well there you go guys go hire great people and so going into kind of your I always like to talk about personal habits and so I'm I'm wondering how do you structure your day in general yeah, well, I spend a lot of time in meetings. I'm I, way more than I that I uh, that I care to admit, and so as a result, it's it's really important for me to to just block off time where I can can think. So so generally, every single day, usually between nine and eleven, I will block off. Do not schedule on my calendar because I find if I don't, then before I know it, I filled up my entire entire day with meetings. And sometimes, sometimes you have to do that because there's things that are urgent that you got to talk through and work through. But if you if you're not really deliberate about blocking off downtime to think, it's really hard to solve some of the the bigger problems that your your business is facing. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're the boss of of your own calendar. I think most people, it just they. When you when you when you aren't intentional about your time, then people can just go and people from your team can just go in and book whatever they want. Your assistant's going to book whatever they want to, and then it just becomes like a what the hell happened at the end of the day. And I think that's what was happening to you, right? Yeah, totally, totally. And and I do have an assistant, and and to be honest, I don't know how I I functioned before that, but if. Um, if I don't take the time and block off those those periods during the week, then then there's just not enough time to think, and that's that's the reality. Yep, got to control your time. Okay, so what is one tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot a lot of value to your life? So it could be like Evernote, it could be like a Peloton bike, it could be a gym, whatever. Okay, so I'll give you two. I'll give you a, a personal one and a professional one. So I'll start with the professional one. Inbox for for Gmail. So we're a, we're a Google Apps company, and if you're not familiar with Inbox, it's 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 their more um, modern web client for for managing your your Gmail email, and they have a they have a native one as well. And the reason it's become so essential is because of this snooze feature. So it's a way that I can get through my emails if I got something in my inbox and I'm not ready to deal with it. I can snooze it, have it come back in 24 hours. If I send somebody an email and I want to make sure to follow up with them next week, it's another great way I can do that. So um, now it's become more common. You see other mail clients that have incorporated this feature, but I don't. I don't know how I lived honestly without that one feature to be able to manage my my email inbox. Love it. So that's one. Yeah, the other one is is um, I, I I'm a gadget. I, I just can't get enough of gadgets, particularly fitness gadgets. And uh, one that I that I got most recently is a is a foot pod called Stride, uh, S T R Y D. And and I, I run on treadmills uh, at home, and and uh, this thing is is super precise with respect to knowing how far you went and and how fast you're going. But that's not what's what's um, really exciting about it. What's really cool is is its integration with a a service called Zwift, 
which if you haven't seen it, it's a, it's an online platform it started off for cycling. So if you cycle at home and you have what's called a power meter, you can integrate with this platform and see, have your avatar online and you're riding with other, other riders across the world. Well, they just brought this thing to running as well. And so if you run on a treadmill, you can use this little foot pod called stride and, and it just gives you some, it makes what is normally really mundane, kind of fun, kind of fun. Love it. Okay, we'll drop that into the show notes. What is one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? Boy, one must-read. There's a, there's a couple that are really, really good. One is uh, one that comes to mind right away is The Five Dysfunctions of the, of the Team by Patrick Lencioni. And it's a fable. It's a really easy read. It talks about this fictitious company and 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 telling that story about this executive team at this fictitious high-tech company. He highlights some of the the classic pitfalls that every team, the the dysfunctional behaviors that every team is uh, exhibits. I mean, there's no there's no team on the planet that doesn't have some level of dysfunction. But it's a really good read because it illustrates really clearly what some of those behaviors are. And you'll you'll see you'll see in as you read it, you'll you'll see things that you do that are that are um, that are not great behaviors. So it's a really good book for anybody that wants to create a healthy, cohesive team. So that's one. The other one it, that I'm reading right now is by Kim Scott called Radical Candor. And and in that book, she talks about the need to be really direct with people. She calls that challenge directly. That's the x-axis. But then she talks about uh, the importance of caring personally for people while you deliver that feedback. And and if you do both of those things, if you challenge directly and you're doing it from a place where you you care about the person, she calls that radical candor. Um, what she says, though, is most of us sit in this this quadrant called ruinous empathy, where we care about somebody and 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 we let that get in the way of being really honest and direct. And, and in the end, we're doing that person a disservice because we're not telling him you know, we're not telling them what we really think, and and therefore they don't really know how to how to improve. Right. I, I think there's actually, I mean, great book. There's actually a tool out there too that uh, maybe it's radicalcalendar.com or whatever. But it, it's you're actually able to send a. It's almost like you can send it to people on your team. Maybe your direct reports, and at the end of it, every single week they can rate you. Are the, are you you know too aggressive, or do you have radical candor, or are you showing too much empathy um, or rudeness empathy? So I thought that was interesting, and we, we did that for a while. I don't know what happened to it. Maybe it shut down. So interesting for people to look at. We'll drop it in the show notes. But Michael, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Yeah, so so you can find me online. You can email me at michael at buildium. If you want to check out Buildium, you can certainly do so at buildium.com. That's B-U-I-L-D-I-U-M.com. I'm also, of course, on LinkedIn. So if people want to talk about about starting a company, some of the ups and downs, I'm happy. I'm always happy to talk to fellow entrepreneurs and founders. Awesome. Mike, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.